middle. So we are on better 34, which feels like better 800, because we've been uh, in Hebrews for quite a while. Uh, but I was talking to Pastor Tony earlier this week, and I uh, said, you know, I have really, really, really enjoyed Hebrews 11. And uh, so I kind of wish we would just kind of stick around a while. And he said, well, we've been there a while. So uh, we have been in 11 a while, but it's so good. There's so much stuff in there that we could spend time talking about. And uh, so tonight, certainly, we will continue. Uh, so for the last few weeks, we've talked about what uh, the writer of Hebrews defines faith as. And uh, if you'll remember, at the very beginning of chapter 11, he says, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. It's the convictions of things not seen. And so as we talk about Hebrews 11 tonight, we're going to jump into verses 30 and 31. And so we'll continue uh, as we have over the last several weeks. If you'll remember, we talked about Noah. We talked about Abraham the last few weeks. And so now we're jumping into uh, number 34, which will lead us into verse 30. And 31. But first, we want to talk about uh, a little bit about faith as we get to uh, those verses. You see, faith for you and I is always defined by the object. So if we say that we have faith in something, it's always in something, right? And so it's the object of our faith that matters. And if you'll remember when we started chapter 11, we talked about that it is the object or, uh, you know, the, the receiver of the faith in which you and I place our faith in that really determines what faith is, right? So in other words, uh, if I say that I have faith in something that is uh, unable or incapable of delivering or coming through, well, then I have weak faith. And so my faith is determinant upon the object in which I place my faith. And so for you and for I as believers, we say that we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ and we know through the Word of God that the Bible says that Jesus is the creator and the sustainer of the world. And so what we've said is that our faith can be great faith because we have faith in a great God, right? And so the object of our faith is certainly a large part uh, of what faith your faith is defined by. And so it is the object, but oftentimes, very oftentimes, it's unseen, right? And so when we say, you know, everything that we believe as uh, Christians is predicated upon something that you and I weren't present for, right? So we believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe uh, that Jesus was crucified. We believe that Jesus died for our sins. We believe that Jesus on the third day rose from the grave, that his tomb is empty, right? So as believers, we weren't there to see that, but by faith, we believe it. We also believe that because of the faith and the act of Jesus, that at a future event, whether hopefully tonight, but whether tonight or, you know, years from now or whenever that may be, that we will stand before God, according to the Word of God, that we'll give an account for every idle word that we've spoken, and we'll either have a relationship with Jesus and because of that be granted eternal life in heaven with God the Father, or we will have rejected Jesus and spend an eternity separated from God, which is eternal hell, right? And so faith, our faith, all of our faith is predicated upon something that we do not see. And so if I say I have faith in Jesus Christ, I'm having faith in a future certainty, if you'll remember our notes from a few weeks ago, that will take place. So there is an object, and it is Jesus, and that object is as now yet unseen. There will come a day where we will see that. Amen. So what this does for you and I, if we don't see it, you know, if I say I believe in something that I see, 
You know, if I, if I tell you that, you know, I can, uh, you know, accomplish some physical human feat, uh, you know, I can run the 40-yard dash and you know, whatever time. Well, then you say, well, I want to see that. I want you to prove it. And so all of a sudden, I don't have faith in that anymore because I saw it with my own eyes. You know, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul talks about faith, hope, and love, right? And then at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, he says, the greatest of these that remains is love, right? Why does faith and hope cease to exist? Because when we stand before God, why is love greater than that? When we stand before God, guess what will happen? You're not going to have faith in God anymore because your faith will be made sight. Jesus said, blessed are those who believe and have not yet seen. But we will stand before God one day, and faith will no longer matter. It will be unnecessary because we will have the visual object of our faith, Jesus, standing right before us. So faith will cease to exist. Hope will cease to exist at that point. I'm not going to say that, you know, I hope this or I hope that because all of my hope is in Him, right? It's in Jesus. And so the only thing that will exist in that scenario, faith, hope, or love, is love, right? Because I can still love Jesus when I'm face-to-face with Jesus. And so that's why it's so important as we talk about faith that we understand what that object is, Jesus, and why it matters that our faith is built upon something that we do not see because what happens for you and me is this creates a dependence outside of ourselves. Because if I can't see this future event, if I don't know when that's going to happen, the Bible says even the Son of Man does not know uh, when God the Father is going to uh, come back for His children. And so if we don't know that, if we don't understand, you know, if we, we don't see that we're with our eyes, we just understand it based on faith. Well, this creates a dependence outside of ourselves to trust and believe even though we do not know what the outcome will be. Absolutely none of you knows what's going to happen in the next 24 hours. Now, we have a plan, right? We think we know what will happen. Uh, Wednesday night, Miss Patty uh, Butler was in the service, and uh, she had uh, given a praise because, you know, she had uh, a mild stroke. She had some health issues, and uh, they put a pacemaker in, so she had some health events that took place. And I said, Miss Patty, I bet you didn't think the day before that tomorrow you would have that take place, right? Of course not. Anybody would tell you that. No one knows the day or the hour uh, that they'll pass to the next life. Nobody knows what is going to happen tomorrow, but by faith, we believe that whatever happens tomorrow, that God's in total control of that, Right? For, you know, for all things work to the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to His purpose, Romans 8, 28. And so this creates dependency. So faith causes me to depend upon God, that God would do what He says He will do. And so in order for me and for you to engage in our faith, we typically must encounter what's called a crisis of belief. Now, if you've ever studied experiencing God, Henry Blackaby talks about this. Uh, but what happens in our life, in order for me to experience faith, in order for me to activate or to engage in faith, there has to be a moment to where I have a crisis of belief that I have to either say, yes, I believe, or no, I do not believe. Uh, now, there's, I believe there's many moments that that takes place or should take place in your life. Uh, certainly, that you know, obviously begins at salvation where you have this moment to where you're confronted with the reality of your sin and that you, in the, in the crisis of belief, have to either A, uh, accept that Jesus is, in fact, the only way that you can be eternally saved and receive His forgiveness, or B, you can walk away, right? You have a crisis of belief, and so you have to choose that you will believe what the Bible says about salvation and how you can receive Jesus as Savior. 
But there are also moments for the believer that that takes place. So once you receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, once you commit your life to follow him, there will also be moments that you begin to grow in your faith. And they'll probably start out small. That's typically how that works. It's almost like a muscle, that small things. Remember the Bible says if you're faithful in small things, then, you know, you'll have an opportunity for larger, right? And so with you and with me, when we say that we encounter this crisis of belief, there will be a moment that you can either choose to believe that God will work it out or you can try to work it out yourself. And so you have this crisis of belief that you will believe what God said he would do. Now, let's back up to Moses. I'm sorry, to Noah. God came to Noah, said it's going to rain. Noah said it's never rained before. And he says, well, it's about to. And I want you to build an ark. And Noah says, I don't know what an ark is. And he says, well, this is what it is. It's this big and this tall and this wide, and here's what you do with it. And so Noah said, okay, crisis of belief. I will choose to believe what you said, and then I will respond obediently. Remember, we talked about that with Noah. Or I will choose not to believe that. So a crisis of belief took place in Noah's life, and the same thing happens for you and for me. You see, most often for us, this crisis of belief is faced individually. It's faced individually. The Bible says we'll all stand before God and give an account, right? So, you know, let's say, uh, uh, let's see. Mr. Frank, let's say Mr. Frank's Sunday school class, all right? When, when God, uh, when, when Mr. Frank's Sunday school class gets to heaven, God's not going to say, attention everyone, if you're in Frank, if you're in Frank Heinrich's Sunday school class, could you come to the front of the line, please? Right? And he's not going to let, you know, all right, well, if you were in Frank's class, then you go this way, and you're going you're gonna to go interest into heaven, right? And I'm just making this up, I'm being facetious here. But, right, you have to stand before God yourself, and he's going to look at what I did with Jesus for Matt Davis alone, right? He's going to say, what did you do with Jesus? Did you receive Jesus? Did you put your faith and your trust in Jesus? So individually, I have to come to the place to where I believe that Jesus really is who he says he is. And by faith, I'm going to follow that. So I'm not going to be grandfathered into heaven because I was in Frank's Sunday school class, right? And neither will you or anybody else. And so individually, I have to stand before God in that moment, and I have to believe, yes, I will follow Jesus. Isn't that what John 3 says? Nicodemus says, we perceive that you're a great prophet. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you, singular, you must be born again. And so individually for our faith, we have to come to this crisis of belief to where we will do what we say we believe. You see, faith requires you to do something beyond human ability. I mean, we've talked about many examples here. You look at uh, Abraham. Uh, you look at, again, Noah. Noah was asked to do something. He was tasked to do something that was beyond logic, beyond his own individual ability. You see, typically faith is, is noted or characterized by that one thing is that you can't do it yourself. Because if you could do it yourself, well, then you would do it yourself, and there'd be no uh, need for God to be involved in that, right? I've, I've talked to some people before, and, you know, they have situations that come up in their life, and then they work really, really hard to fix those situations or to make those situations work out, and they leave no margin for God to work in those situations. And then at the end, they say, wonder why God didn't work in that situation. Well, is it possible that you were trying to solve everything by human logic instead of sitting back and trusting God? And we're going we're gonna to talk about a three-step process tonight that you can, uh, by faith, experience the things that God has for you. So 
it requires something beyond human ability. So we, as we get to Joshua, well, we look at Joshua or Hebrews 11.30, and the Bible says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. So, you know, if you want to get all the details of what we're talking about here, you can go back to the conquest study of Joshua. It's on the website. But Joshua, uh, Joshua and the Israelites had just crossed the Jordan River, and they had set up these 12 memorial stones, and they were uh, commemorizing what had happened, which was uh, along the same lines of what was mentioned this morning in the service of celebrating what God had done, right? And then uh, God reinstituted the Passover, and then Joshua goes off and he gets before the Lord and he gets instructions before the Lord. And according to Hebrews 11.30, it says that by faith the walls of Jericho fell. So we know through the study of conquest that uh, Joshua goes off and the Lord tells Joshua, circle the city seven days and the walls will fall. Don't throw any stones. I don't want you to bring the sword. We're just going to walk and be quiet and we're going to dig into that in a second. But it didn't make any sense, Right? What? Now, God, I'm a warrior. My name is Joshua. I am a bad man. I can do awesome things with a sword, and yet you want me to do something that makes no sense, and you're telling me that you're going to knock the walls down, that they're simply going to fall? Now, that's beyond human ability, right? There's not a single Israelite that could have pushed those walls down. As a matter of fact, all of them couldn't have done that, right? They needed God to do it. And so God says, instead of you doing something and getting credit for it, by faith, I'm asking you to do something that doesn't make any sense, and I want you to obey that, and you will get victory if you do it. Now, so Joshua finds himself at a crossroad. So he can say, okay, I hear what you're saying. I'm going to do it. Now, obviously, it wouldn't be in Hebrews 11 if he didn't. So obviously, Joshua said, yes, Lord, I'll do it, and he did it. But, you know, it could have easily went the other way. I think a lot of times in our lives it does, is that God calls us to do something that doesn't make any sense, and so we rationalize it for it to make sense so that we can participate in it. That's what we do. I'm, I'm guilty of that. You're guilty of that. And so what we want to do is we want to rationalize things that are beyond our ability. Why is that? Because we have no control over those things. And if it's beyond our ability, well, then we don't think that we have any skin in the game, and we want skin in the game, and so we want to rationalize it and make it logical so that we can actually participate. But that's not what faith is. You see, faith is doing things that are beyond our ability that oftentimes don't make sense. And so Joshua was at a crossroad. He could either, by faith, believe, just like Noah. He could say, okay, well, you say it's going to rain 120 years later, but I'm going to build this ark. You see, there was this insurmountable obstacle that was right in front of him. Normally, in your life and in my life, here's where faith is needed the most. is where we have this situation in our life that we have no idea how we're going to get out of it. We have no idea how it's going to get fixed. We have no idea how we're going to make it through. Typically, that's where faith manifests itself. Is that you can either say, okay, I've got this insurmountable obstacle in front of me, and by faith, I will persevere. Or we can say that by logic, I'm going to try, attempt to persevere. And so here's this obstacle. The Bible says in Deuteronomy 128, where, uh, where, are, where are we going up? Our brothers have made our hearts melt, saying the people are greater and taller than we. The cities, according, uh, you know, uh, referencing Jericho, are great and fortified up to heaven. So the walls, according to this, are in their minds, all the way up to heaven. And besides, we've seen the sons of Anakim there. And so 
we you know, hear some reference to the giants here in Deuteronomy 1. And so here is this giant wall. Joshua and the Israelites cross the Jordan. Out in the distance, there's Jericho. They know they have to, they have to conquer Jericho. They know the walls are impassable, right? I mean, it's what they said. And so Joshua gets along with God, and he says, all right, God, I, I'm not sure how this is going to happen. I mean, you brought us this far. How in the world are we going to do this? And so Joshua sought out to know how to proceed. So I told you there's going to be three things that you could apply in order to, you know, engage in your faith. Well, number one is to get alone with God. This is not on your notes, but you've got to go to God with it. You, what, what I've done this, we've all done this, is, you know, I've had an obstacle in front of me, and immediately I thought, how can I fix this? What can I do? Who do I know? You know, how can I solve this situation? We've all done that. But the correct way is what Joshua does here is he went to uh, seek out what God wanted him to do. And so Joshua sought out the Lord to know how to proceed. And so when Joshua did, you can read in Joshua, uh, the first couple chapters of Joshua. uh, When Joshua did, the Bible says uh, here in the next verse, Joshua 5.13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? Joshua sees this, uh, this person, and he doesn't know who it is, and he sees uh, th- this man. He thinks he's an enemy, and so in doing so, Joshua encounters what he thought was an enemy, but he came to realize that it was the Lord. There was a man standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua goes off to get instruction from God. He encounters the Lord uh, Jesus. This is a theophany. This is a, an, a, a Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. And so he encounters, he has this encounter with Jesus. And so he stands before uh, this man and he says, hey, are you for us or are you against us? You know, he's seeking out God to know, hey, Lord, what is it that you want us to do? And here comes the manifestation of God in the form of this man. You see, he thought it was an enemy. What happens in your faith and in my faith is that faith, real faith, engages the enemy. It doesn't back down. Now, culturally, modernly speaking, in today's world, well, faith is always relative, right? Well, I believe as long as everybody else believes. Or I believe I'm just not telling anybody. Right? I mean, that's, that's what, you know, t- 2019 faith has become today is there's nobody that's out there on the forefront, right? I mean, very few people are standing in the gap that are standing up for what they truly believe is real. I mean, if that were the case, we wouldn't have all these silly laws being passed. I mean, let's just be honest. And so if we really believe what we say we believe, we would, as believers, we would engage in our faith. And what that means is that we would engage the enemy. Because listen, in your life and in my life, if God is at work, then the enemy's at work. It doesn't matter what's happening in your life. It doesn't matter what arena that you're engaging your faith. If God is working, so is the devil. Now, you may be sitting there, and I said this Wednesday night, you may be sitting there thinking, well, the devil's not messing with me. Well, then you're doing something wrong. I mean, let's just be honest. If you are not engaged in your faith and doing things that are beyond human ability, that's what faith is. We just established that. If if the enemy is not after you, then you're not engaging your faith. 
Now, I'm not suggesting, and we'll get to this, I'm not suggesting that you charge hell with a water pistol by yourself. But what I am saying is this, is that any time that you and I say what we believe and we act upon that faith, the devil's going to perk up and say, "Uh uh-oh, we got somebody else that's doing something for Jesus. Right? And so in our faith, if we say that we have faith, then we ought to be actively engaged in that faith. That we ought not back down. Unfortunately, in our world today, when faith encounters opposition, we cower. So do you believe what you say you believe? Because this is what my Bible says, and I'm pretty sure it's in yours too. 1 John 4, 4, greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world today. Isn't that what your Bible says? And so the Bible says that according to the faith that I have, that it's not dependent upon any ability that's within Matt, but it is solely dependent upon the Godhead Yahweh, the Lord Jesus Christ. He is preeminent. He's omnipotent. He's above all that there is. And I say that I have my faith in the creator of the universe, yet you let someone oppose me who is a human, mind you. And then I say, well, you know, let me rethink that whole Jesus thing. I mean, come on, right? I mean, we ought, to be, we ought to be out on the forefronts of our faith. Because why? Because we believe in the supreme creator of the world, and that's who we have placed our faith in, and that's who we follow. But yet, when we have engagement from the enemy, we say, well, okay, maybe I didn't mean it. Or we just remain silent. Faith engages the enemy. And so if you're here tonight and you are not at battle with the enemy, then you're not engaged in your faith. See, God gave instructions to Joshua, and he says, he stood before Joshua, and he says, this is what I want you to do. And then Joshua, he obeyed. Joshua responded obediently. Joshua went to war. God told him, this is what I want you to do. I know it doesn't make any sense. Just trust me on this one. Joshua goes back to the Israelites, and they say, okay, Joshua, what's the plan? How are we going to defeat these walls that we can't even see the top of them? And Joshua says, all right, guys, listen up. Here's what we're going to do. I want everybody to get in a single file line, and we're going to walk to Jericho, and we're just going to circle the city, and we're going to do that for day one. And they say, okay, well, how about day two? Can we, can we bum rush them? Can we, you know, get some distractions on the north end and come from the south? He says, no, day two, we're going to do the same thing. And they say, um, uh, Joshua, are you, are you sure you talked to God? And then he says, yeah, I did. And he told me to day three all the way to day seven, we're going to do the same thing every single day. I don't want anybody talking. God said to be silent. We're just going to circle the city. Well, Joshua, what's going to happen on the seventh day? And Joshua says, well, on the seventh day, this is what's going to happen. And he tells them they're going to blow the horn. They're going to shout. and The walls are going to fall. And you know what the Israelites said? Are you sure about that? Isn't that what we would say? Now, wait a minute, Joshua. I'm not, I might have to sleep in that day. I'm not sure if I can go with you on that, man. Doesn't make any sense. None of us, now you can put your super spiritual hat on and say, oh, I would follow. But no, you wouldn't. None of us would look at that in human logic and say, makes sense, I'll go with you. I mean, it sounded like it was a setup for slaughter. But yet by faith, they believed what Joshua said and they believed the God that Joshua believed in and so they followed him. And so Joshua's faith is what led the Israelites. They had faith in the God that Joshua followed. And so one person's faith was able to raise the level of the entire nation of Israel. And the same could be said about you and me. So what are you doing? What am I doing that is leading by faith? Listen, when you have faith, the Bible says faith can move mountains. I mean, that's what the Bible says. And so for you and for me, 
as followers of Jesus in our workplace, in our home, in our church, in our spheres of influence, our faith ought to raise the faith of those around us. It ought to challenge those around us to live a life that's marked by faith. We ought not be living little faith. That sounded like Andy Griffith did. We ought not be, right? We ought not be living small faith, right? We ought to be living a faith that magnifies the God in which we serve. If he can simply by the touch of a finger knock the walls of Jericho down and give the victory to the Israelites when they had no seeming participation whatsoever, then he can do whatever it is that may be going on in your life or mine, right? And so we ought to have that kind of faith. In our life, it ought to be exemplified by the God in which we serve. So the question is, who are you leading by the example of your faith? Is your faith that other people see, is it worldly faith? Is it nominal faith? Is it logical faith? Or is it godly faith? Is it faith that can't be explained? Man, that guy's crazy. How in the world could... God do those things in his life. It only takes one God moment in your life for everybody to believe. Trust me, I know. You say, God called me to do this, and God shows up and he does it, and then all of a sudden everybody believes. That's what happened with Joshua. Joshua said, get in the water, the Jordan, right? And they're like, hey, I'm not sure about this. But then the Bible says when the ark got in the water, the water's part and they all crossed. And guess what? Joshua could have told them, we're going to blindfold everybody and we're going to walk backwards to Jericho and we're going to lay down with our hands behind our back and God's going to give us the victory. And guess what? They would have done it. Because why? Because he had already proven that the God that he followed was able to show up. And it's the same thing in your life and in mine. The example of the faith by which we live ought to raise the faith of those people around us. It ought not lower it, and it ought not be the same. So Noah led by not just words, but by actions, and so did Joshua. And so Joshua commanded them to circle the city for seven days. Now, again, that doesn't make any sense. We dug really deep into that in the uh, conquest study, so you can go back and listen to that. Because, you see, what normally happens is wars are won by force. Right? They're one by force. They say, okay, here's what we're going to do. You're going to go in. We're going to flank them from this side. This is how we're going to uh, attack them. And they had a plan, a strategy. That's normally how war works, right? But that's not how this battle worked. You see, they had force that is typical. And what happens for you and for me is we often try to follow God by force as well instead of by faith. I want you to think about this. Normally we say, okay, this would be really awesome if God would do this in my life. And so then we try to push our way for that to happen. Now, the Bible says to be still and know that I'm God. If you are in D group, you read here a few weeks ago uh, through Exodus and into Deuteronomy, and uh, God got upset with the Israelites because Moses came down from the mountain and they're worshiping golden calves that walk out of fires. And so all of a sudden, God says, look, that's it. You go, y'all go on. I'm going to send an angel with you. Just, just go. And Moses said what? Moses said, oh, no, I'm not going anywhere. You're not going. I, wherever you go, God, that's where I want to go. I don't want to go anywhere without you. You see, when we talk about forcing our way, we ought to be following God in faith. And so when we're talking about living a life that's marked by faith and getting along with God, this is not something that you conjure up or I conjure up in my own mind and say, it'd be really awesome to do this, whatever it is, for God, and then try to force God uh, to cause that to happen, or at least in my own life, try to manufacture the circumstances for that to happen. That's not faith. 
You see, you have to be led by God. Joshua got alone before the Lord. But what we try to do is we try to orchestrate the circumstances in order to get the results that we desire. Because what we'll do is this. We'll have an obstacle in, in front of us, and we will come up with a solution. Every one of us can do this. Every one of us have done this. We'll come up with a solution. We'll say, you know, this would be a really good way for this to end. And then we'll start working for that solution. And we'll start trying to orchestrate situations and circumstances and resources that we have in order to accomplish the objective that we want. We are all guilty of this. And by force, we try to get God to do what we want him to do. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, Though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We don't walk in the flesh. So we should stop trying to fight battles in the flesh and solve problems in the flesh. We need to get before God. We need to be silent. And we need to get instruction. That's how great things by faith are accomplished. You see, they were commanded to be silent. God didn't say, okay, Joshua, there's this Jericho city that you're about to encounter. What would you like to do? Joshua, you're a good warrior. How do you think we should do this? That's not what the Bible says. No, he encountered the Lord Jesus, and the Bible says that he bowed before him, and God gave him instruction, right? He told him what to do. Joshua didn't have any, Joshua didn't say, okay, okay, so you want me to take all the Israelites, um, what if we do this, or what if we, no, God said, here's what you're going to do, and Joshua listened and responded obediently. They were commanded to be silent. Next is 14, 14, the Bible says, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. Listen, God's got this. He doesn't need my opinion. He doesn't need my advice. God is asking, when, when you and I commit to follow Jesus, we commit to lordship, which means we submit to Jesus. And we say, everything that I know about myself, Jesus, I am surrendering to everything that I know about you. And I'm going to put my desires away, and I'm going to submit to your desires. Delight yourself in the way of the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart, Psalms 37, 4. Many verses talk about this. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Uh, Matthew, uh, Matthew 6.33, many verses talk about this, putting God's desires ahead of our desires. And so all these battles that we fight, God doesn't need our advice in those things because things are happening that we don't know and we don't understand and they don't make sense to our limited human capacity, but God knows and he understands and he has everything planned out and mapped out perfectly, even if it doesn't make sense to you and me. And so the Israelites were commanded, you need to be quiet. And so that's good instruction for us tonight that whatever it is that we face, the first thing when we get before the Lord is we need to go before God and we need to be quiet. We don't need to go before God and say, okay, God, here's how I think we ought to do this. This isn't a we thing. It's a him thing. And that's how we follow. And so on the outside, it looked ridiculous. That you want us to be quiet and not fight and just walk. You want us to just walk. Well, that doesn't make any sense. When we do uh, block parties, as we did uh, today, we go out a week before and we uh, walk the neighborhood. Every house gets a door knock. 
gives an invitation, and we pray as we walk the neighborhood, and we pray for the people that live in that neighborhood, and we pray for gospel opportunities, and we pray for hope for those that are at the end of their rope, and we pray that God would reveal himself and that God would show uh, his love and his grace through our actions. We walk. Joshua says, look, you want us to walk around the city? Well, that's ridiculous. That doesn't make any sense. And to an outside unbelieving world, it doesn't. But God has a great track record. Amen? And so what he had already proven himself in their lives, he's continuing to lead them, and by faith they're following. And so he tells him, I want you to be silent. It may look ridiculous, but this is what I want you to do. So when Joshua got alone before God, you see, to be alone before God, to be silent before God, to be with God, when Joshua got alone before God, he didn't impose what he thought was a good idea. Here's where you and I get in trouble. We say, okay, by faith, you want me, uh, you want me to do something, and so God, I'm going to go before you, and I'm going to be silent, and I'm going to listen to what you have for me what you have in store for me. Now, remember, Joshua spent a lot of time with Moses, right? He's got, you know, all as much as he could gather of what Moses has written. And so, you know, a lot of the Pentateuch uh, Joshua has. And so all of the stuff that he has learned and heard from, jo- uh, from Moses. And so he's, you know, uh, undoubtedly he's consulted some of the writings of Moses. And he goes before God and he says, God, what do you want me to do? And so you and I, we go before God, and we, we're alone with God. Here's the danger in that. I, w- I want you to listen to this because it's happened to me. Again, it's, I'm sure it's happened to you. It's because when we get alone with God, what happens in our minds is when we're by ourselves, then we start conjuring up our own ideologies. Because who is having a conversation in your mind when you are alone? It's me, myself, and I, Right? And so I start telling myself, well, hey, well, this would be a good idea. And so my mind never stops. And so I'm thinking of all these ways that I could solve this problem. And so when I get alone before God, if I don't have God influence into that situation, I'm going to convince myself to do something that I want to do. Everybody does it. So here's one of the reasons I believe that you and I have the Spirit of God inside of us. Because left to our own thoughts and our own ideologies, we will craft our own strategies that make more sense. It'll happen. God will call us to do something. We'll get along before God, and then we'll change the situation in our mind. Because why? Because if it's only me inside of my head, and that influence is not, you know, the Bible says that the, uh, the intents of my heart are wicked, same for yours, Right, And so my thoughts are going to lead me astray. The Bible says we ought to take every thought captive before the Lord. And so if my thoughts didn't lead me away from God, why would I need to bring them before God? And so my thoughts are going to lead me astray. And so I have to have outside influence from God in order to lead me in faith. And so I believe that's one of the reasons that we have the Spirit of God inside of us, that He can direct us internally. That's why the Bible says in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God prays the things or utters the things that we don't even know we need to pray. And so the Spirit of God leads us because left to ourselves, I'm going to come up with my own idea and I'm going to create my own strategy because me, myself, and I, we agree a lot. How about you? Right? But faith, faith is not based on logic or acceptance. Faith doesn't say, well, this makes sense. Do you think it makes sense? Well, yeah, that makes sense. Why don't we do that? I mean, we could, there are so many examples of 
faith not making sense around here. I mean, there's so many examples of that. Because it's not logical. It's not logical. And so Joshua has this opportunity to follow through in what doesn't make sense, to lead the nation in what doesn't make sense to this battle that God has in store for them to win. You see, this was not a battle of competence. God didn't say, these are the best speed walkers this side of the Jordan River. We're going to walk around so fast it's going to stir the dust up and all the walls will fall. That's not what, that was not the strategy. This was a battle of confidence. You see, in your life and in my life, faith is marked by who we have confidence in. If I have confidence in myself, I will have small faith. If I have confidence in God, I have big faith. And so I can either believe to have big faith or I can believe to have small faith, but it all lies in where my confidence is, not in my competence. Because God can accomplish things through people who are incompetent. Amen? Amen. And so the key to this kind of faith has to originate with a catalyst that can only come from God. So in other words, what I'm telling you is this. Don't go home and get along with God and say, I want to do something wildly amazing for God. I'm going to conjure up something in my life, and then I'm going to try to go do something great in faith. That's not how faith works. God has timing, and God has a plan, and God has a strategy, just like he does here with Jericho. And so when God wants to call you to do something by faith to do do something, he will make it known that he wants you to do that. And so in other words, what we don't need to do is go out and say, okay, I want to do something great for God. When can I do something great? God, will you give me something great by faith to do right now? It's likely that God's probably already called you to do something by faith and that you simply need to respond to that. But there has to be a catalyst that starts with God, that it can't be your own desires. It can't be your own intentions but it has to be something with God. You see, Joshua went off alone, but yet God intervened. This was not Joshua's idea. This was God's idea. I promise you this. If Joshua would have come up with this strategy to go to Jericho and circle it seven times, he would have failed. It had to be God's idea. And so we can't impose, remember by by force, we can't impose our own ideologies of what we want God to accomplish in our life. You see, faith doesn't storm off into battle without a word from God. So number one, we get alone with God. And number two, we get a word from God. Remember, Joshua had heard and listened and read the things that Moses had written. Joshua was being instructed by uh, previous leadership, and then he got before God, and he said, God, what is it that you want us to do? And so he had this moment, this crisis of belief, when he got these instructions from God of what God wanted him to do. And so he heard from God. He got this word from God. And so our principle then is that disobedience reveals our unbelief. If God tells us to do something, if Noah told, uh, God told Noah to build the ark and Noah did not do it, then that was disobedience that revealed his unbelief, right? But he obeyed the same as Joshua, and so their obedience evidenced their faith. As crazy as the story sounded to Joshua, and when he repeated it to the Israelites, they obeyed. And that evidenced the faith in which they have. 
You see in uh, chapter 5 of Joshua, verse 14, the Bible says, And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth, and he worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? So he has this encounter alone before God. He gets a word from God, and look what he does. He worshiped. You see, faith is activated through worship. Faith is activated through worship. So you get alone before God, you get a word from God, and you worship God. You worship God. That's how your faith is activated. Now, in order to worship God, and I'm not just talking about through song. Uh, oftentimes we equate that. But, you know, worship is ascribing worth. That's what worship means, giving worth to. And so faith is activated through worship or giving worth to God. And so this requires submission to God's will. Not to your plans or my plans or my way or your way, but to God's way. And so if I say, God, I want to I be involved. I want to live a life that's marked by faith. I want to be involved in the things that you're involved in that maybe don't make sense to the world. But, God, I want to follow you, wholehearted devotion to following you. Well, I have to submit then. And if God calls me to do something that I don't want to do or if God calls me to do something that doesn't make any sense, it can't change my fellowship. It can't be I'll follow you as long as you do what I want you to do. That's not fellowship. That's not submission. And so delight yourself in the way of the Lord, Psalms 37, 4, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. And so what we have to do is delight in whatever it is that God's calling us to do. And so when Joshua got the instruction before God, he said, okay. He didn't say it doesn't make sense. He doesn't say I don't like that plan. He doesn't say I have a better way. He submitted He submitted to God, and that's what worship does. It creates this receptiveness in our hearts to accept things by faith. It creates this receptiveness. It makes us receptive to the things of God when we worship. Well, why is that? Well, when when you worship God, God becomes really big in your life. The focus of God becomes primary, and everything else in your life becomes secondary. And so when that happens, when you truly worship God, and God becomes so big that everything else is secondary in your life, guess what happens? We become receptive to hearing the things in which God has in store for us. And then they don't sound so crazy anymore. Because why? Because we're focused on the only thing that matters. And we're not hearing all the noise. When Peter got out of the boat, he saw Jesus. And as he was focused on Jesus, guess what he was doing? Something beyond human ability that made sense to no one else. But then when he began to look around and he heard all the noise, then the Bible says he began to sink, right? So his worship was diminished. And when his worship was diminished, when his eyes were not on Jesus, he was not able to accomplish the things that were beyond human ability. And neither will you or neither will I. Worship creates this receptiveness for us to be able to do the things that God intends for us to do. If you study uh, the entire chapter of uh, 11 uh, of Hebrews, a common thread for every person listed here is that at some point they had a moment of worship that catapulted their faith. There was this catalyst from God. And it was this moment of worship. Look back at Abraham. Look back at Noah. Look back at Joshua. What happened when they crossed the Jordan? They they put 12 stones to memorialize what God had done. They worshiped. They instituted the Passover, the gratitude of what Jesus or what God had done uh, with the death angel back in Egypt. They instituted all that to remember. They worshiped God for who he was. You read the latter part of Deuteronomy, uh, the 
33, 34, 32 through 34, and you see Moses and this song of gratitude and, and uh, of all of what God has done through the nation of Israel for their benefit, for their good. And Moses, at the end of his life, he honored God. He worshiped God for what God had done. And Joshua was there, and he saw all of it, and he heard all of it, and it impacted his life. And in doing so, it, catal- it was the catalyst that moved him to be who God wanted him to be. None of those things would have happened if he had not seen the example of Moses' faith. And that's what we have to understand is that when God calls us to do something like he called Moses, it affects the next generation. Will your children, will the people in your Sunday school class, your friends' children, will they see the influence of your faith that will be something to motivate them in the future? Or will it be just like everyone else's faith? You see, when Joshua worshipped, when Moses worshipped, when Noah worshipped, when Abraham worshipped, it catapulted them to do even greater things for God. But so oftentimes our worship is not marked by life-moving moments, right? Because we're adults now, and we've learned how to control our emotions, and we've learned how to control our actions, and so most of the time, worship is not like David. Remember what David said? He's down there dancing before the ark, and he says what? He said, I'll become even more undignified than this. I mean, know what David said? Hey, look, I don't care what you guys are seeing. I'm worshiping God. You see, that's what worship does in our life is it makes us receptive to the things of God. And nothing else will matter. Peter, doesn't matter. David says, look, you can get mad all you want. I'm worshiping God. You see, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, all of them. Perfect examples of worship that catapulted their faith. You see, this cultivated their heart to be receptive to faith. Isn't that what happens a lot of times? God orchestrates circumstances and situations, uh, you know, i.e. Esther, Mordecai. He orchestrates these circumstances to where by faith we turn, there's this crisis of belief. Do I tell them that I'm a Jew or not? There's this crisis of belief to where they have an opportunity to either engage in their faith or not, right? That's what happened with Esther. That's what happens with all of us. And so we become receptive to that. And so Israel was receptive to faith. You know, Joshua goes back. Here's what God said. We're going to walk. We're not going to fight. We're going to walk around it seven times. The walls will fall. We'll get victory. And Israel said, okay, I'm down with that. Why did they do that? Because they had just crossed the Jordan. Something that thought was impossible, and yet they did it. So they said, well, look, if God can, if he can part the Red Sea, if he can part the Jordan, I'm sure he can knock a wall down. And so here they march across the Jordan River, and so they had become receptive to the things that God could do. You see, what happens for us is true faith will declare the reality of God in our life. So when people look at our faith, they say, well, they're just like everybody else. Or do they say, that doesn't make any sense, but it has to be God. You see, I've always been taught that God does the things in which he gets the credit for. So in your life, if something's happening and you're solving your problems, well, God may not be involved in that. So true faith declares the reality of God. The the walls fail because of the faith of Joshua and of the Israelites. They had faith. They believed in something 
impossible happened. And so in verse 31, the Bible says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And so again, if you read in the first few chapters of Joshua, uh, the spies went in to check out uh, Jericho. Rahab uh, harbored them and uh, the inhabitants of Jericho found out about it and they came and tried to get them. And uh, Rahab uh, lied and concealed and was able to let them stay out. And so God said, okay, Rahab, because of you doing that, uh, I'm going to let you live. Now, Rahab was not a very good person. And again, you can study that with the Conquest series. I think it's most significant here that the final person to receive an individual commentary in the list of champions of faith here in chapter 11 is a woman who was a Gentile and a prostitute. That's not something that you'd like for them to read at homecoming announcement, right? And next we have Rahab. Now, Rahab is a Gentile, and she's a prostitute, right? I mean, that's not necessarily the order of characteristics that you'd be proud of. At least, you know, here we see the, uh, the Jews are uh, taking the conquest of the, the promised land, and Jericho is in the way. And so here's, here's Rahab. Now, they, they told Rahab, the spy says, hey, look, hang the scarlet cord, and uh, you hang that scarlet cord, you and whoever's in the house is going to be saved, which is indicative of uh, the Passover and the blood of the lamb uh, over the doorpost. And so here is Rahab that does that, and so her faith is an example for all who desire to have true faith. It's an example for everybody who wants to have true faith, especially those who are sinners, who know deep down they're sinners, and deep down they want to please God, which is all of us. Every one of us, for Rahab, right, we're all sinners destined for a devil's hell, but because of what Jesus did, that gives us the opportunity to have true faith, that our faith is built upon what Jesus did, not what I can accomplish. And so here's a Gentile that the Jews are ravaging through the promised land and overcoming everyone that's not uh, of the, the Jewish nation, and yet we run into Rahab, who is in the world's eyes a terrible person, and yet God said, I can save her. The Bible says, this is what Rahab said in Joshua 2, 9 through 11. And uh, she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. Sounds like they're pretty terrified. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Rahab had a crisis of belief. And she chose to either believe in the security of the walls of Jericho or in Jehovah God. That was her crisis of belief. And she said, we've heard even all the way back, years and years and years ago, what God did when he rescued the Israelites from Egypt. We heard about the Red Sea. We heard how God brought you, and our hearts melted because of what your God did. And she declares that who he is. She says, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. He is sovereign over all, essentially, is what she said. We melted when we heard that you were near. You see, Rahab knew that death was imminent. 
But she believed and she had faith that Yahweh God was her only hope. See, that's what the world has the choice. You and I had the choice that we can say, I believe in the world system. I believe in, you know, and you fill in the blank that this will be for my good, that the world will be for my good, that I can work my way or I can accomplish my way and that I'll be okay. Or we can say, no, imminent death is near. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the payment for sin is death, right? There was no death until there was sin. And then sin happened in the garden and animals were slaughtered to cover them up, right? That's how they got skin. And so there was no death until there was sin. And so the payment for sin is death. And so Rahab knew that because of that sin and the sin of her culture, that life as she knew it was coming to an end and that her only hope for uh, eternality had nothing to do with the walls of Jericho but had everything to do with the God of the Israelites. And it's the same for you and for me today that we can give in to the culture and we can live what, we, what I would describe as menial faith that is the same as everybody else or we can believe in Yahweh God that he does believe in the sanctity of life, that he does believe in the righteousness of the believer, that he does require holiness for us that declare his name and represent who he is and that one day we'll give an account for that. We can believe all those things and live according to that by faith or... We can do like everybody else except for Rahab and Jericho and perish with what we believe is the walls that will secure us. That's what the world says. That'd be a really good place to say amen. I actually got a little excited when I said that. Jericho was the oldest town known to man. The oldest town. Its inhabitants thought they were invincible. I mean, again, you know, in Deuteronomy, the walls were up to the heavens. But Rahab heard God's word. She, even though was surrounded by her ancient pagan culture, which, again, in their minds was eternal, no no one could overcome them, she believed in Yahweh God. Here's an Amorite prostitute who, when the Israelites came and God knocked the walls down and they ambushed Jericho and all the men, uh, you know, everybody was uh, killed and they took over the city, Except for Rahab, listen to this, except for Rahab, and Rahab and all of her family, guess what they did? They joined in the march of the promised land. And they, they walked all the way into the promised land with who? With God's people. Because Rahab became who? She became God's people. Listen, this ought to get you excited. And so here's an Amorite prostitute in and of herself, was totally unrighteous, that was doing things that were abhorrent to culture, but yet she chose to believe in God. Listen, this is so good. And she came to live with Israel, and guess what happened? She married an Israelite. She acclimated into their culture. She became one of God's people. She was, according to the Bible, grafted in. Sound familiar for me and you? And she married somebody whose father was a prince In Judah, she became a princess and an ancestor of King Jesus. Hallelujah. A prostitute who had no hope apart from Yahweh God, who couldn't depend upon her culture to save her, to rescue her, to defend her. And God said, I can take you the lowest of low in the culture, And I can make you royalty. And I can give you lineage to King 
Jesus. Only in the kingdom of God can believing faith lead us to such heights. Only in the kingdom of God. How far do you want to go with God? That's the question. You can go as far as you want. The sky is the limit. There is no limitation to the faith of the God that you believe in. Whatever it is that God uh, calls you to do in your life, he can accomplish that because he's able, right? And so he took an Amorite prostitute and made her royalty and made her kin to King Jesus. And so the takeaways for us tonight, the takeaways are that the battles that we fight are not won by force. Stop trying to force your way through life. Live by faith. Get alone with God. Get a word from God and worship God. And guess what that will do? That will lead to you being receptive to the things of God. So don't force your way through life. Live it by faith. Because what happens is faith will create a milestone in your life. And you and I will begin to see those things typically in the rearview mirror. If you reference the Crossroads series on the website, we went through the will of God and how you can know the will of God and what it is that God wants to do in your life. And we talked about looking in the rearview mirror that life is marked by faith. And that is typically seen in the rearview mirror. Now, we have to be careful, though, that faith without worship is simply religion. That's what the world says. Believe in something that you can see. If it's tangible, believe it. So faith that believes in something that you can see that doesn't worship something beyond ourselves, that's purely religion, and religion never saved anybody. Number four, the authenticity of our belief will be determined by the weapon we choose. So the genuineness, the authenticity of what it is that you and I say that we believe will be determined by how we fight that battle. So if we say that my faith is in Jesus then I will, I will uh, approach life, I will approach problems, I will approach situations with belief that Jesus then will accomplish those purposes, right? But if, I, if, if my faith is in what is logical, well, then my weapon will be me, that I will choose me and I will choose human reasoning and I will choose logic and acceptance to fight those battles and I'll get small faith because I'm fighting it with the weapon that is small, which is me. So the authenticity of our belief will be determined by the weapon that we choose. What what are you fighting battles in life with? And last but not least, our our faith is not based on who we are, but it is based on whose we are. And Rahab, because of her faith, became a child of the king. And so that ought to encourage us that there's nobody that we know, there's no one in this room, in this world that's too far from God, that can't be rescued, that can't be redeemed, that there's nobody in this room and nobody in this world that God can't work through. It all depends on who we have our faith in. And so I hope tonight that this has been an encouragement to you as it was to me to know and believe the God that we serve is absolutely sovereign, that He is above all things, and He can and He will accomplish things that don't make sense for His glory as we simply follow Him. Amen? Let's pray as we go.